Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Good evening, Dr. Rodriguez and Kylie. How are you guys? Very well. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on board. Great. Thank you. What's happening? You guys are both in Melbourne, aren't you? What's happening down there? It's been a really sunny day today. <laughs> oh, yeah? That's unlike Melbourne. <laughs> it's been glorious. <laughs> glorious. And uh, so would you prefer us to call you Dr. Rodriguez or Michelle? Do you have a preference? Either way, yeah, Michelle's fine. My, 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 yeah. With a limited time, I think we'll go with the shorter option, might think. <laughs> yeah, well, off air. Yeah, one syllable um, less will definitely yes. help. Ky- Kylie was telling us off air that you're a bit of a rock star with lasers, so we, we didn't want to presume that we could call you by your first name. <laughs> professor, Professor. Yeah, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, um, for the listeners, we're here with Sinashaw tonight, um, and we're going to be discussing a device called the Pico Shore. But maybe first, Kylie, who represents Sinashaw, um, can sort of explain the company, a little bit about the background to you know, what they sell and so on. Is that okay with you, Kylie? Yeah, great. Um, so look, so so Sinashore, we've been around for about 30 years. Uh, we are a global company and we manufacture, we, we develop, we invent, we innovate medical and aesthetic devices and or energy-based devices. So they will range from we have we have different categories. So You'll have your skin rejuvenation, your hair removal, uh, tattoo removal and body contour ranges. And then within each of those categories, there are there are further subcategories. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess that the topic we're talking about tonight really in relation to laser treatment is pigmentation. And um, this podcast is going to be split into two parts. So um, tonight with uh, Dr. Rodriguez, Michelle, we're talking about pigmentation in general. So things like uh, freckles, sunspots, age spots, um, irregular pigment in the, sp- in the skin. We can talk you know, cover briefly um, melasma. And then we're going to talk about how you might use the Sinusaur lasers in your, in your clinic to treat these conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second part of this podcast yep. will be with MJ Driver, who will be telling us more about how to use the Pico Shore for tattoo removal. So that'll yep. be interesting. Yeah. It's a market that's definitely on the rise. And uh, even myself included, there's some stuff I might want to get touched up. So I'm going to do a bit <laughs> yeah. of self-education for me too. Uh, Kylie, just tell us briefly about your background and your training. Yeah. So look, I, uh, I've, I've been in the industry, I, you know, probably, oh, you know, maybe up to 30 years now. I've been working um, directly with lasers for about, I'd say, 15 years now. And actually, most of that time has been directly or indirectly with Sinusure lasers. So, uh, I'm coming into my 10th year with Sinusure this year. Uh, Sorry, yeah, this year, 10 years. Um, And prior to that, my laser career really started in London. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I was a clinic manager um, operational with uh, actually the Elite Plus, a hair removal laser uh, that we that we manufacture, and um, I did a lot of training in the UK. That was a, an environment that was very heavily regulated with the care quality, the healthcare. 
Um, so it was great. It gave me a great ground in coming back into Australia using lasers. And in the last 10 years, I studied uh, at the at Victorian University. I achieved my Bachelor of um, Health and Science, becoming a dermal clinician. So that was great, you know, having that further education uh, alongside working with the lasers. Yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my learning, you know, university is one thing and then a lot of my my training and education also comes from from my clients who who use and operate the lasers like uh, like Michelle. Yeah. And Michelle, um, you're a dermatologist. You're down in Melbourne. Um, you have a, a specialty in treating a pigmentation in the skin, particularly darker skin types. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey, why you chose to get into dermatology? It's a, it's a long, hard road, hard to get in. Um, so you must have really wanted to do it. <laughs> Yeah, look, it was kind of a natural choice for me. Um, as I navigated through all the various specialties in medical school, I, I tended to gravitate towards dermatology because it was a really nice balance of medicine, surgery, got to play with gadgets. We look after children, we look after adults. There was a research opportunity, there was opportunity to go abroad. So it was just endless. And um, and the reality is that there's a lot of skin diseases that are very complex that actually um, involve not just the skin but internal organs. And sometimes it can be like a mirror to what's going on on the, on the inside, which is intriguing. Um, and I think finally, you know, skin problems have a very significant effect on some people's well-being, psychological, social well-being. And I think that really can't be underestimated. Um, and so th there are opportunities to make real positive differences in the lives of not just patients, but, you know, entire communities potentially. So the journey into subspecialization, like after I, after I did my dermatology training, I was a partly here in Melbourne, very tertiary referral hospitals, but I also had the opportunity to go over to Singapore in 2008. And it was there that I realised that, hold on a minute, these guys in, in Singapore are actually treating pigment um, disorders in a completely different way. We, we were sometimes saying nothing can be done, um, it will go away, it's cosmetic, put makeup on top of it. Um, whereas these guys were really thinking innovatively about um, the use of medical treatments and, and device therapies. And I thought, hold on a minute, we're, we're lacking here. We really need to change the game in Australia and we really need to catch up because our population is, is so diverse and mm. was only going to get more diverse, you know, from 2008 and, and beyond. Um, and so I, I realised that, you know, it's probably my my duty to, to try to learn a little bit more from these amazing mentors. Um, and so I did the six months in Singapore and then I returned um, to Singapore again in, in 2013 and I spent like a ton of time, probably well over eight months, um, day in, day out with um, pigmentary disorder experts um, in various places around the US. Um, and then on top of that, extra eight months, another four or so months in various parts of the world to, again, get different perspectives, cultural perspectives. There are so many nuances in, in treatment when you go to Korea and versus Belgium versus India. It's, it's incredible and there was just so much to learn. So I did that. I finished my derm training actually in 2010, but I continued to, to dive into this area of pigmentation and skin of colour right up until 2015 um, in a very... Um, heavy kind of way um, and then brought as much of that back as I could and really became my mission to, to educate dermatologists, particularly in, in Australia and Oceania, but globally about the various diagnostic and therapeutic nuances in patients with skin of colour and how to really optimise uh, treatment in, in this subgroup. And um, 
you know, a, a difference in 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 morphology, a difference in presentation, a difference in um, treatment responses can be seen in patients with skin of colour. So it's a really kind of fascinating area, um, constantly developing, and I'm super excited to, you know, have, have journeyed thus far in, in this area. Brilliant. Awesome. Now, we don't want to assume that the listeners, you know, know everything about pigmentation. So do you just want to break down what is it and, you know, why do we get it and, and why are people more prone to it? Yeah, this is, I love this question because people talk about pigment because it's it's easy to, to say. It's kind of become the colloquial word that we use for hyperpigmentation. Um, but really, pigmentation is just a word that means colour, you know, or and most commonly referred to as colour in the skin. So it could technically mean that the skin is lighter than it ought to be or darker than it ought to be or, as was alluded to before, just differences in skin tone throughout the, the, the one person's cosmetic subunit, for example. So actually it, it's a descriptive term only. It doesn't tell us a thing. So mm. all it is is telling us what something looks like. There's literally 49-plus causes of facial hyperpigmentation, I would say, every single one of them in the space of maybe 12 weeks. Mm. So um, it's super diverse and there's a ton of um, a ton of diagnostics that come into that. Probably the most common ones that we see here in Australia or in warmer climates would be melasma, um, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, freckles, sunspots, and, and as alluded to before, age spots. So I think listeners out there should, should really hone into that. If someone says, you know, you have pigment, I, I'll treat it this way. They should really be asking, the discerning person should really be asking, what is my diagnosis? Because yeah. really that changes the game completely. 100%. And what about birthmarks? Uh, is that pigment or is that vascular or is it both? You mean like uh, port wine stains and things? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, that can be a myriad of, of, of different things. So birthmarks can be... Um, a, melanocytes or, or pigment either in increased quantities or decreased quantities it can be the blood vessels that have or, or you know arteries or veins that have formed in excess in in one area causing things like port wine stains and etc the red birthmarks that you see yeah. birthmarks can can even be you know completely white um they can be really really dark they can even be hairy so you can get you know brown spots that have like a ton of hair on top of them so um, there's a lot of congenital, i.e. what you're born with, congenital um, birthmarks, and, and some of those are pigment pigmented in nature. Yeah. Mm. And what about the external causes that sort of can help manifest you know, the, the occurrence of pigments? So we're talking things like the pill, um, maybe various uh, other hormone tablets that people might take, um, obviously going through pregnancy, menopause, and so on. Yeah, look, I think the biggest driver of exogenous or external hyperpigmentation or, or darkened areas on the face is, is really the sun. It's what we had today in Melbourne. <laughs> it's that ultraviolet light A, ultraviolet light B, C, and even visible light and infrared plays a huge role in exciting the pigment cells and, and making patches of brown come about. And that can be manifest in multiple ways. Freckles is one. Darkening of existing moles is another. Melasma is a, a common one. But the key thing is, you know, people used to bang on about um, uh, lots of hormonal influences in, in melasma. And I think that what, 
what we should all be looking at now or trying to understand is not everyone who's on the pill or is pregnant or et cetera will get melasma. Mm. Tons of men have melasma. You've got people who sit indoors who actually are office workers who are um, never had kids, never been on the pill, et cetera, who still get this. So there is so much that we don't know about this condition. And it, it's, um, you know, I was talking with a colleague yesterday in, in Amsterdam about this, about a potential trial. And we were talking about how there's so much we don't know about something so common. You know? We also know that when we take away, for example, um, some of the hormonal influence. So if we tell our patients, if you can stop the oral contraceptive pill, that'd be great. Or once they finished, you know, um, with with their pregnancy and with breastfeeding, things should settle down. It doesn't. You know, you've got patients who have melasma, for example, they stop all these exogenous hormonal influences to the best of their ability and they've still got their melasma. Or guess what? Their sister and their mum who haven't been in that situation also have melasma. So we know that there's a strong genetic predisposition in many patients. And then there's these external factors, namely ultraviolet light, visible light, infrared light, that uncovers the lid on this existing, um, you know, susceptible patient population. I hope that's yeah, kind of um, <laughs> helpful. <laughs> no, you're very, very succinct. Now, do you want to take us through the modalities to, to actually treat pigmentation? You, you've sort of alluded to the first one, which is stay out of the sun and wear a hat and slap on some sun cream. But, you know, obviously there yep. are topicals and then, you know, steroids and peels and going all the way to the energy-based devices. So what, what's the sort of the treatment ladder from simple to complex? So again, it, it depends on what we're treating, right? So, so let's say we're talking about freckles, for example. So freckles that have come up as a result of um, sun exposure over time. Of course, um, sunscreen, broad, broad spe- spectrum, UVA, UVB blocking needs to be done, all the sort of stuff that your listeners would already know about. And then I like to employ um, laser or energy-based devices because this is often a one-and-done kind of treatment. So mm-hmm. the patient comes in, they're able to treat once, maybe twice if they've got really um, difficult to treat freckles. And, and funnily enough, if the freckles are lighter, it might require a couple of treatments, um, but it's so satisfying for the patients. And, and that's probably my go-to if the patient has the, the time and energy to, to um, go through with that. If, however, we're treating something like melasma, a lot of people will pile on combination of treatments um, including hydroquinone, tyrosinase inhibitors, vasomodulators, so oral tranexamic acid, in addition to laser-based devices. The reality is if we look at the research, most of the patients with melasma don't actually need any energy-based devices. It can be helpful in treatment-resistant cases, and we definitely would want to either utilise super low-fluence, you know, Q-switch lasers, or even better, picosecond lasers. Mm -hmm. But you really don't have to jump to the energy-based devices for something like that. Let's say that's in contrast to age spots, specifically seborrheic keratosis. And a lot of my um, patients of Chinese descent um, and Middle Eastern descent, et cetera, will get these as they get older. They're quite flat. They don't necessarily respond as well to um, wavelengths that, that try to target melanin. Instead, we can use water as a target, i.e. CO2 lasers, erbiums, et cetera, to literally just gently peel off that, that epidermis and mm-hmm. with great results. Again, one, one or two treatments. Then there are other things that are completely, you know, medical. For example, minocycline-induced pigment. So, minocycline is a really, really 
common medicine um, used to treat acne, used to treat rosacea. And patients will often, if they've been given high doses for prolonged periods of time, end up with pigment on the face. And guess what? One or two treatments with a picosecond laser and boom, it's gone. So it really just depends on what you're treating. Um, and, and the diagnosis coming first and then a treatment plan, you know, according to, to, to the diagnosis and the patient's skin type, et cetera, um, is critical. But yes, you know, so many different things can be used. It's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> when it comes to treating the types of pigment that require an en- energy-based device, how do you go about selecting your piece of equipment? What do you use in your, in your practice? Um, so the most important thing is wavelength, number one. So what are we, exactly are we trying to target here? If we're trying to target pigment, um, the 755 nanometer wavelength, um, the 532 nanometer wavelength, the 1064 nanometer wavelength can be helpful. And, and people probably thinking, hold on a minute, that's going from 532 right up to 1064. What's that about? It really depends on where is the pigment that you are trying to treat? Is it in the epidermis or dermis or both? And what is the skin color of the patient and the time of the year? And as I said, the critical question is what's the diagnosis? So I would often um, reach for in patients with skin of color, um, people who have freckles that have skin of color, people that have um, melasma that's treatment resistant in skin of color, definitely a picosecond device um, is the go-to for me. Um, there are a lot of situations where patients will have low-fluenced NDYAG or, or laser toning invented by the Koreans. Um, you know, sub, subdermal selective photolysis is, is the main kind of um, driver for, for having used that. But many patients who have multiple treatments end up with this horrible confetti-like white spots all over their cheeks, which is irreversible. With the picosecond laser, we haven't seen that yet. And, and I think that this is important because melasma is chronic and recurring. So if someone turned up to, to clinic with treatment-resistant melasma, that's what I would be looking at, picosecond laser. Um, it's definitely a first choice. Um, if the patient did have lighter skin but had um, light freckling or a very, very thin seborrheic keratosis or age spot, then it would be totally reasonable uh, to use my 532 um, laser um, and treatment-resistant cases, maybe the picosecond laser if they're darker. Um, and then if it was a seborrheic keratosis, the CO2 laser straight off of it if it's if it's quite thick. Um, uh, that's kind of the basics, I would say. And I would also say that removing moles or removing nevi is something that I, I don't like doing um, in any patient group unless it's, it's um, you know, pressed on by the patient because there can be, if we're removing the pigment from the top layer of skin but we're leaving something down below, we miss, we remove the window that we have to actually see whether or not something's going wrong in that mole mm. by using demoscopy. Yeah. So we might never know that a patient's developed or developing melanoma within a spot if we laser over a mole and years later there's a, there's a problem. So I think that's really important to, to listeners to, to be very, very cautious about treating nevi with um, pigment lasers. Um, and, of course, you'll, you'll potentially get um, rec- pretty quickly. Mm. Can I just bring Kylie in for a second? So a lot of our listeners may have not listened to some of our older laser sort of episodes. So can you just very briefly summarize, you know, what is a wavelength and and and, and why you're choosing these uh, different types of lasers for different targets? I think some people still get confused around, you know, there's so many different types of lasers and, and Michelle sort of spoke about some of those things just now. Yeah, actually, Michelle, that was 
perfect. <laughs> that was great. No, so basically a wavelength is really a measurement in um, in the way the energy or the light particles or the photons are delivered. So what happens when Michelle is referring to uh, a 755 Pico shore? So the 755 is the is the wavelength of the PicoShore or one of its wavelengths. And what laser physics tells us is that a 755 is actually the wavelength that has the best absorption of melanin. Mm-hmm. So that 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 is your that would be your go-to um, you know your your go-to wavelength treating melanin. But as Michelle said, Depending on the skin type, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. We can do with lasers depending on the skin type, depending on what we're treating, and you can use other wavelengths as well um, to achieve, to achieve, uh, for, for example, removing pigment. But it just depends on what type of pigment and and why you would use that laser. For example, a five thirty two, you would only be able to ever use on a skin type Fitzpatrick one or two. Yeah, and also. The other thing, just to sort of clear up, is the pico shore. That's uh, sort of referring to the the length of time it is to shoot the laser versus the Q switch, which is different. Yeah. So uh, the pico, so the pico shore is a picosecond technology, uh, and actually, it's. I mean, it's been out commercially now for I think for about five or six years. But Sinusure invented picosecond technology. Um, they spent about ten years. Our laser physicists spent about ten years in a lab. Um, putting this, you know, putting this device together. Yeah. So the Pico, the Pico Shore, uh, Pico seconds means you are delivering the laser energy in trillionths of a second, compared to a Q switch laser delivering the laser energy in billionths of a second. So, what that means to, for example, the pigment, um, the way that the pigment receives the the energy or the light particles, there's a different interaction, mm-hmm. um, different reaction on the skin. So what actually happens when the, the laser energy hits the pigment? Does it shatter it or you know, what does it do to it? Yes. Yeah, so look, with... Um, with, when we're talking about Q-switch lasers, yes, it will it will shatter it. it. It has like a photoacoustic effect. So you are removing the heat element that you would have if you were using, for example, a long pulse laser. But what the PicoShore is able to do is it's able to deliver the energy so quickly mm-hmm. to the target, to the pigment, to the pigment. And for example, talking about the pigment, in a way that you remove the heat, or you know, most of the heat or all of the heat. So, um, especially for darker skin types, or you know, um, some of the pigment that Michelle will treat with the PicoShore that doesn't like heat. Uh, where the PicoShore will remove more heat than a Q-switch laser. So, um, you know, a lot less rebound um, kind of effects that you would see, that yeah. you wouldn't see. And Michelle, like why, why did you choose the PicoShore laser um, to treat these these conditions that, that come into your clinic? I mean, what is it that, about this laser that you couldn't do previously with other technology? Well, I, I first worked on it um, in 2013 and I realised that we were getting great results very, very quickly on, you know, certain types of tattoos, certain colours, um, greens, yellows, um, that were very, very difficult to treat, um, were, were being treated a lot more quickly. Um, I would also say that um, just by chance I found that this particular laser happened to be a ton quicker at removing minocycline-induced pigmentation. We published on that, I think, in... 2014 or 15, if I'm not mistaken. Um, with the PicoShore laser, you also have the ability to put on a special lens called a focus lens, treat pigment in a in a, um, a particular way that 
further decreases um, thermal damage or surrounding thermal damage. And even though the, the 755 nanometer laser is, is fantastic at, at um, optimising or minimising, I should say, the, the surrounding thermal damage, you've still got to be careful because over a certain millijoules or joules, you end up creating heat at the dermoepidermal junction, which will cause post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So mm. when you hear people saying, oh, with the Pico second lasers, I still get PIH, it means that they're not probably getting the right settings, unfortunately. Yeah. Because if you if you if you tweak your settings adequately, that should be a minimum to no risk on any picosecond laser. There are newer generation picosecond lasers, of course, but, you know, the, the 755 is, is tried and tested. It's got a lot of white papers behind it, um, and I, I've, I've found it very useful um, in conjunction with the other modalities and the other lasers and energy-based devices that we have. Brilliant. Is it um, possible to sort of take us through a common indication like, you know, sun damage, you know, just sort of standard pigmentation of the face and then walk us through the patient journey. So, for example, what what do you do in your consultation? Because most dermatologists have said within 20 seconds they know the diagnosis because it's normally a visible thing and they've already formulated their plan as the patient's talking. But <laughs> is it as simple as that or using a dermatoscope or any other tools to, to sort of help you? Yeah, um... <laughs> Good question. I love it. Um, most of the time we can make an educated guess or we can at least narrow down the diagnosis within five or ten seconds of a patient walking in the room. Yeah. But failing to ask the right questions about what medicine someone's been on, what are they taking for their occasional back pain, etc., can miss an entire diagnosis and have the patient bark up the wrong tree, spend thousands of dollars and potentially get worse. Yeah. So the answer is if a patient's coming to chromodermatology, they're going to get a really in-depth 20-minute consult and we're going to be asking a ton of questions. Hmm. Um, and then, yes, I'm going to be looking with a Woods lamp, which helps us determine if pigment is epidermis or dermis. Um, I'm going to be taking out my dermatoscope. We're going to be looking at a... Um, uh, photographs that are macro and um, something like the Vizier system, yeah. um, which allows us to see um, different filters on the, on the patient's face to work out um, where the majority of the problems lie, even microscopically, if you will. Um, and then depending on the diagnosis, let's say it was, it was sun damage, which is often the trifecta of telangiectasia, so redness, um, freckling and hypertension, also known as hyper, one of the causes of hyperpigmentation and epidermal atrophy, let's say. The first thing would be um, after that 20-minute consult is a, is a discussion with our dermal clinician and we work in a 360 kind of team. It's not just me. It's not just someone else you're meeting. You're actually meeting the entire team at that consult. And um, we will talk about everything from um, photo protection and topical antioxidants right through to the use of um, tyrosinase inhibitors vitamin A derivatives to prep the skin before the procedure that's chosen for the patient. Depending on the extent of the, the sun damage, depending on the patient's skin type, the time of the year, etc., we may choose to do a combination of a sort of targeted topical therapy in addition to a series of chemical peels, or we might do a combination of um, topical therapy in addition to some laser or energy-based device treatments or we might just do topical treatments, funnily enough. So if something's really, really mild, you don't have to be super fancy about it. You know, I love my gadgets. I love to to, to use them. Um, 
and you know, if, if it's going to yield the best possible result for the patient, I definitely will use it. But if someone has sun damage, they're probably going to end up on a really good sunblock, a niacinamide, a vitamin A analog like tretinoin or um, some other kind of retinoid, um, in addition to um, a cleanser and a moisturizer that optimizes the skin barrier. So this is ceramide-containing moisturizers, ceramide-containing emollients, which sound weird, but optimizing skin barrier function is really, really critical for outcome in, in vascular and pigmentary disorders. Um, and then, you know, timing the, the particular treatments will depend on patients' schedule. So, you know, anywhere from four to six weeks, depending on what they're doing, sometimes eight or 12 weeks if they're having energy-based device treatments. If it is simple um, sun damage in a patient who's skin phototype one or two, I would expect them to get reasonable results with combination topical and laser energy-based device treatments within the space of 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. If it was a complex um, multi-diagnostic or multi-etiology um, pigmentary disorders on the face of patients with skin of colour, it can be multiple months. We're talking four to six months to try to um, gradually improve skin texture, skin tone and the hyperpigmentation. And it's kind of never, it's a little bit like exercise with hyperpigmentation depending on on the, the diagnosis. So if if it's um, skin, you know, photoaging and and freckling and sun damage, well then the patient needs to be educated on how to best avoid that level of damage going forward. And we can pop them on maintenance regimens to to minimize the risk of those sorts of things coming back um, to that degree. Mm. What about the actual, I guess, from the patient's perspective, treatment uh, time? discomfort level, recovery. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people listening to this have had laser hair removal before, so that might be a, a comparative measure yeah. that you could use that most people could relate to. In Australia, yep. but not In Australia, <laughs> yeah. It's getting there. It's getting there. Look, Aussies are really tough, so I never hear a whimper out of anyone. Uh -huh. um, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, look, the, the majority of patients say it feels like the flick of a rubber band yeah. um, and nothing more. It is very, very rare that I would have to um, utilize topical anesthetic for a patient. Um, we don't really have to use more than just a cooling device, literally blowing cool air on a patient to make them feel a little bit more comfortable during and just after the treatment. Mm -hmm. um, if we are treating, say, freckles, for example, um, the patient will have a subtle peeling of those areas, even with a picosecond laser, um, but it's really, really mild. And, you know, many of the, the patients that we see and, and people who get the treatment, even part of our team, you wouldn't even know they had it the following day. A little bit of redness, a little bit of swelling, maybe 24 hours maximum, and then you can pop on your makeup and, and get going. And, and from a guy's perspective, certainly, you know, within a couple of days, you wouldn't even know that anything has really happened. And, and guys tell me that their, their mates don't even know. They're like, what? You did what? Didn't even notice. So, um, the comfort levels are, are really, really good. I don't think people need to be at all concerned about that. And, um, you know, downtime is minimal. And, and picosecond lasers, definitely less downtime than, say, um, you know, a CO2, um, yeah. fractional, fully ablative, et cetera, for obvious reasons that I'm sure your listeners all, all know about, but um, each with their own um, pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, a lot of patients don't really understand the prep period for, for a couple of weeks with the, the, the products like you mentioned. Why do you need to do that? And I'm going to put you on the spot. What are your favorite products? Yep. Um, sure thing. I actually don't believe that you need topical preparation for pigment lasers specifically. So 532, um, you know, Q-switched ND YAG 1064 or the 755 picosecond laser doesn't actually need 
pre-treatment. Okay. However, there is a pre-treatment period that's necessary, I believe, for things like microneedling or for things like pupils. And this is because we're wanting to optimise penetration through the epidermis. Yeah. Whereas the laser technology is going to go through the epidermis. It's, it's a wavelength at the end of the day. The post-care is more important from a laser perspective. In terms of pre-treatment, um, if we're talking about freckling and someone's going to have you know um, fractionated CO2 laser, I really love combination hydroquinone, usually about 2 to 4% in combination with a tretinoin. And that tretinoin concentration really needs to be um, minimised if the patient hasn't had any, um, you know, is retinoid naive, if yeah. you will, but it can really be pushed um, right to the top if the patient has had, you know, um, prescription um, retinoids in the past. And I would do that for at least a period of about four weeks if we really want to optimise the outcome. Mm. You, you touched briefly on um, the time it can take for treating, you know, multi-conditioned pigment issues and darker skin patients, but how do you approach darker skin patients, particularly with the energy-based devices? With a lot of caution, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because the skin is not forgiving. Um, and uh, myself and, and many of friends um, have had the, the personal experience and pain at post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, even after a simple laser like Alexandrite laser, yeah. you know, which you think is going to be absolutely fine with laser hair removal. You do it three times, it's fine. The fourth time you've got PIH. So number one, diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis. For example, last week at clinic, I saw a patient who was diagnosed with melasma um, 10 years ago. She'd gone through a whole bunch of treatments for 10 years for what was termed melasma. And then when I looked at her, I was like, hold on, this is not your classic melasma. It doesn't, it doesn't look right on Wood's lamp. doesn't look right dermoscopically. It doesn't look right morphologically. I think we're going to need to biopsy the areas that look normal to you. And those areas that looked normal were actually vitiligo. So what I would say is, yeah, which is a totally different autoimmune condition where patients get white spots. It's like the Michael, you know, the, the thing that Michael Jackson had. And so this changes the game completely. And this this poor person was initially shocked, didn't want to believe it, said, nah, 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 I think we need to take a biopsy. I said, sure, happy to do it. And that's what, what happened. So I'd say the first and most important thing is diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis. And that takes um, educational level of expertise. Second, when the patient has skin of colour, it covers a broad range of patients, right? Like it covers patients who are Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, Indian, right through to African subtypes of, of, of skin. And even if we look at just Indian patients, I can tell you that patients from some parts of the north of India are literally skin phototype 2-3. Mm. Patients like myself from the south of India originally would be more along the four five, and there are some people who even sort of five six. Yeah. So we really have to say to say to ourselves, well, what is the ethnicity of this patient? What is the skin phototype? So diagnosis, ethnicity, skin phototype. Second, third is well, what is this patient wanting? What's their expectation? You know, are they wanting us to to clear? Is the melasma causing them more difficulty than the separate keratoses or vice versa? And then what I would try to do is stage the treatment according to what's most important to them. So get the separate keratosis off, for example, then move to treating the melasma um, with energy-based devices if it hasn't worked with topicals alone. So I'm trying to, it's, it's, Probably a wishy-washy answer, but I, I'll tell you why. Anyone who gives you a one, two, three, four, I, I don't get it actually because it takes a level of putting pieces of the puzzle together 
and figuring out what's individually appropriate for that patient. And even after doing this for 15 years, dermatology, I, I can tell you that there's no one, two or three methods that are that are going to be perfect for every person. And in fact, that's kind of danger zone, I reckon. So um, I'm sorry I can't answer that um, I'm better for you. But what I can say is from a topical perspective, hydroquinone, definitely the gold standard for most forms of hyperpigmentation. You can get that over the counter. Um, in Australia, I'm not sure about other parts of the world. Some places it's a little bit more regulated. And then you can get it on prescription from 4% onwards. And topical um, retinoids are probably the best second to that in terms of scientific solid evidence behind it. And then you've got a ton of other things, arbutinin, um, vitamin C, um, retinols rather than retinoids, um, niacinamides, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, at the end of the day, they have good evidence of, as antioxidants and good evidence for mild hyperpigmentation, things like mild freckling, very, very mild epidermal melasma, but probably not hitting the mark for your, your moderate and severe, which is what I tend to see in, in chromodermatology. Brilliant. Now, Kylie, I'm going to bring you back. You've sat there patiently. Um, when you sort of bring... Oh, the... I can listen to Michelle all day. <laughs> <laughs> when you bring the Picashore into a new clinic um, and maybe they've been used to lasers or not, what does the training look like and getting the experience in, in, in handling the laser so you don't sort of yeah. um, overcook things? So... Uh... Anybody who partners with us with um, with the Pikachu or any of our technology, we the the training we actually have a, a training um, department. So our our national educator, we've got we've got a training team within Australia, and it really depends on the amount of time that we spend in a clinic training them on the Pikachu will depend on quite a few different things. Um, some people purchase the the, the Picashore just for pigment or for skin, some for tattoo only, some for both. So we look at what they're going to be using it for, um, yep. number one. We also look at their, their background education. So somebody who's had many years' experience I'm um, using using lasers may not need as much time as somebody who um, is quite look any anywhere you know initially the like the initial training could be anywhere from you know one to two days to five days. Yeah, fair enough. And if we could get into costs of yes. the device, if you don't mind us asking, um, is there a range, or do you just buy you know the device and away you go, or are there different add-ons? Yeah, so we um, is the question specific to Pikachu or, Pikachu. To, or to our pigment lasers? Pikachu, yes, Pikachu. To, to Pikachu, there is a range. Yeah, look, the range there's not there's not just one price because Pikachu comes our Pikachu comes with three different wavelengths. So mm -hmm. again, depending on what you're purchasing the machine, the Pikachu for. Depending on different clinics, different practitioners, different doctors um, have different requirements for, for why they want the technology. Uh, so, I mean, the range is the range is pretty big. I would I would say, you know, ballpark between um, oh, ballpark anywhere between two to three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, right. fair enough. And presumably, obviously, the trainings involved, the deliveries involved, the you know the oh, follow up warranties, so, etc. Yeah, there is absolutely. Uh, look, everybody, there's a personalised package, I suppose, for you know for every client. But what happens is 
everything is included. When I say everything, um, you know, you've got your annual service agreements, you have your um, clinical training, ongoing training, there are marketing packages, um, there's, there's business support. So, it, yeah, again, it just depends on, you know, um, what applications they want to use, what they want to achieve from the Pika Shore. So, mm. um, yeah, it's really about finding. I mean, and that's that's the great thing we're able to. There is there will be a solution, you know, a solution package for for everybody who's looking for that technology. And of course, if you know, we we have other technologies well outside of that. Um, you know, that clients start with before they even get to the Pika Shore. Yeah. And what about things like finance? Do you work with any companies that can help people, obviously, in terms of just, you know, monthly payments and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. We work, we, we actually work with lots of different companies. So, okay. depending, yeah, we, um, depending um, our, our, med- our medical, sometimes our medical clientele, doctors, physicians, uh, they have their own uh, and also our non-medico practitioners, uh, there'll be different finance companies depending on um your business your business setup sure perfect well guys thank you so much for part a of our um pico shore um podcast in conjunction with sign Shore. michelle was there anything you wanted to sort of summarize and or how would people get in touch with her maybe you, well, well i was going to yeah. ask <laughs> if, if you want to summarize about you know if you're a patient with pigmentation what what should they do uh, what, what's their port of call do they go straight to a derm do they try things topically over the counter what what should they be doing I think the most important thing, David, is getting um, at the end of the day a diagnosis, as I I said. Um, And I think if they're getting nowhere with the treatments that have been suggested by, say, the general practitioner or whatever, they can always request to come and see a dermatologist. As I said, I think, you know, pigmentation is such a a big area, involves medical dermatology and cosmetic dermatology. So I think if you're going to have a real handle on hyperpigmentation and the various causes, you need to be doing both medical and, and cosmetic dermatology because they inextricably interwoven and to, to be able to navigate those is critical. Um, so, I mean, I'm biased. I think, you know, as dermatologists, we've, we've done 13 years of training before we even get anywhere. And then, you know, on top of that, you've got fellowships and other bits and pieces. So I think, um, you know, as, as a person who subspecialised in it, I, I think I can understand the grief that, that patients go through the many, many years of hiding their faces and trying various things that don't work and spending thousands of dollars potentially on the wrong diagnosis. So yeah. there is help out there. And there are, there are many, pa- many patients who have, who have said that, you know, it's just about getting that diagnosis and getting the treatment and the right expectations, you know. Mm. So, well, for anyone looking to reach out for diagnosis and some more help, how would they get in contact with you, Michelle? Oh, nothing like a shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Chroma Dermatology, we're in Melbourne. Uh, and, you know, you can look us up on our Facebook, on Instagram, Chroma underscore Derm. And of course, just Google search Chroma Dermatology. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, Kylie, we'll see you in part two. Um, but thank for you. now, thank you so much. And we wish you guys well and stay safe. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Enjoy your Sunday. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye. So this is um, part two of our chat um, in relation to the Pico Shore laser and how it works in terms of attacking pigments. So we had a discussion with um, Michelle Rodriguez, dermatologist down in Melbourne, and we spoke about pigment in general and the way that she approaches it, particularly in in darker skin types. Um, So today we're here to talk with you about 
tattoo removal with the same piece of equipment. Tattoos are extremely popular. I'm pretty covered in, in tattoos. You've obviously got a few as well. You go to the gym, you see them everywhere. You go to the beach. They become part of just normal social culture. So that's what we're here to talk about today. So could you just, I guess, for the listeners, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, and just a bit about your background. I started having tattoo removal done uh, when I was 19, so 14 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and just became absolutely, absolutely hooked and obsessed with learning about kind of, yeah, just ha- how it worked, I guess, like in the scientific background of it, and then just all, always researching uh, like new equipment, you know, any improvements in technology, stuff like that. And then, yeah, a few years kind of went by and kind of out of necessity because I quit a job on the spot one day I thought <laughs> As you I do. wonder if this is something that I could yeah yeah I thought I wonder if this is something that I could could do could learn you know and 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 make kind of yeah a career and a life out of yeah I, I because of my obsession with learning about it like my 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 fiance now like girlfriend at the time can attest to wake up at 3 a.m. and look over at me on the laptop with a little glow in my face because I was just I was reading research papers from from you know dermatologists and doctors in America. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just it was just weird. It was just weird. I had never found anything like this in my life where I was actively searching out kind of constant, um, you know, constant news, constant information, improvements, just. Just anything, um, and it wasn't it wasn't so much for the fact that I was going through the process of tattoo removal. Um, I, I, I just genuinely found it um, super interesting. Where are you at now? You own a couple of clinics, is that right? They're in your name, and uh, and and what what's your role within the business, and what do you do day to day? Okay, so yeah, I've got five locations um, around Australia now. Um, we did have seven at one stage, but it was. It was a lot. It was a lot to try and handle, especially like in Perth. The Perth one was really difficult because obviously just getting over there uh, enough to, to make sure that the business is running the way kind of, you know, that you want it to and, and everything's functioning the way that it's supposed to. It's just really difficult to, to maintain. Like a lot of people assume that we're like a franchise or, or something like that, um, which is just not the case. It, it's, it, it's really me and my partner, Meg, um, just, just really just trying to hold a tight ship and it, yeah. it, uh, yeah, it, it can get, it can get a bit much, especially when, um, the business has kind of got to the point that it's, that it's gotten to where it, it, it's way busier than I ever anticipated that it, that it would be. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're doing 15, 16, 17, 18 treatments a day, most days, mm-hmm. um, at each store. So yeah. it, um, yeah, it yeah. was a lot to kind of handle when there were seven stores. But now I think we've got a good a good flow with the five that we've got at the moment. And I guess just to sort of get an understanding of the tattoo culture itself, obviously I alluded at the beginning of the podcast that it's become a very, a very popular. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is driving this? And, you know, in terms of how popular it's getting, I mean, do you have any sort of idea about, you know, the number of people that are getting tattoos? Is it on the increase? And, and then I guess secondary to that what is motivating people to get them removed is it because they don't like them anymore they got their partner's name tattooed on them they want to get rid of it or <laughs> they were drunk one night or they just change in fashion <laughs> well it's pretty pretty much all of those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, kylie's laughing has that happened to you kylie are you a patient at mj driver i yeah listen i i i enjoy every 
a taboo story that Mike that Mike shares. <laughs> a removal story. Yeah. Sorry, Mike, you were saying? Um, yeah, in terms of the amount of people getting tattooed. Um, and I think I think the reason for that is it, it's definitely more it's it's normalized in culture now, isn't it? Like you don't you don't cross the road because you see someone walking towards you with <laughs> <There we go. laughs> I was just showing my naked arm oh, to yeah. David's big sleeve here of <laughs> tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> People aren't freaked out by, pe- by uh, you know, by people walking past them with tattoos anymore. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a bikey affiliation thing or a gang thing anymore. It's just normal people have have tattoos, you yeah. know. So I think I, I don't think it's frowned upon anywhere near as much as it used to be. Um, so I think kids coming up now, you know, that are turning eighteen and can legally get tattooed. It's not, it's not such a, um, yeah, it's not such a crazy thing anymore. Yeah. Um, I think it's rarer now to find a person that's under, you know, under forty that doesn't have a tattoo. I'm it's just kind the of crazy that it's Sorry, Mike. Slipped on its head. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm actually curious because I don't have any. Like, what are people asking for, and and how does how do tattoos get designed, and you know, and all of that kind of stuff? What's popular? Um, well, I mean, most of the shops that I have my lasers located inside, uh, inside of, uh, I guess merit like. They're kind of based off American kind of traditional tattooing. So you, your old school kind of stuff, like you say, Legere and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's becoming more like because it's so, it's so popular now, each shop has multiple different artists that are catering for pretty much every, every style of tattooing. So it's not, you don't walk into your street shop anymore and it's just every, there's four tattooers doing the exact same style of tattoo mm-hmm. it's very spread now because there's that many people out there um wanting to be tattooed yeah and i think um the quality of artists i mean you've got people now that have got fine arts degrees they're illustrators they're, they're they've gone and studied art and, and and drawing um it's not just someone who you know can hold a needle and you know as you said, trace something onto someone's skin. They're actually pieces of art now. And, you know, you people travel all around the world. They'll go on years, wait, you know, years worth of waiting list to try and get the right artist to do something on them. So I think that culture definitely has shifted. The quality's gotten better. And I think that what you said before, you know, the stigmatization of it, because, you know, when my parents were growing up, the only people that had tattoos were criminals. So <laughs> that was what the association was. If your child got a tattoo, then everyone's going to think they're a criminal. In what you just said, though, about um, like the quality getting better. Yeah. I, I agree. The quality is definitely getting it, – it's, it's, it's shifting both sides. <laughs> yes. So because it is so popular, you're getting all these people becoming or trying to become tattooers that really shouldn't be, you know what I mean? They're, they're not <laughs> doing good quality stuff. And, I mean, that's what's, I guess, keeping me, <laughs> you know, quite busy. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think you're getting both sides of the equation in, in tattooing these days. It's not – it's not kind of down the line like it used to be. You probably never used to get really good work, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, you probably never got like crazy, amazing work. You'd be always looking at like guys and girls in America and, and Europe are doing, but um, it's gotten way better in Australia. But yeah, it is because it's so busy and, and, and people are just flooding tattoo shops to get tattooed. You, you've also got people there that are probably not at a level where they should be permanently or permanently um, putting 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 ink in people's skin, really. 
So in terms of the history of removing tattoos, I mean, I know the technology's come a long way. I remember first seeing the first Pico technology laser when I was in the UK going back almost 10 or would have been close to 10 years ago, roughly, when I first heard about this technology. So what has been the history of tattoo removal and why has it been traditionally so difficult, fraught with danger, complications? You know, you'd see these horrific photos of people looking like they just had their arm melted with acid, um, long recovery times. And then just walk us through the technology, sort of where it started, the challenges, and then how we've sort of progressed up until today. And then we can talk more in depth about the Pico Shore laser. You know, about 30 years ago, Sina Shore, you know, developed the first Q-switch laser, Medlite C6, which is actually, which is still around. Uh, Mike is familiar with that technology too. And a Q-switch laser has the ability to, it, it delivers the laser energy in billionths of a second. So it has it has a photomechanical and slightly photothermal effect on um, on shattering the, the pigment, the tattoo particles. Um, and, of course, the way it works is that you shatter those ink particles and then your body's immune system um, kind of deal with that and it's removed. Um, with with Picashaw, uh, Sonashaw developed the very first picosecond technology called the Picashaw and um, this is delivering the laser energy in trillionths of a second, which is, has really been a game changer because now we are shattering these tattoo ink particles even smaller than what we were with the medlight, yeah. uh, with the medlight and, and even the rev light. So, you know, what, what does that mean? It means, you know, faster so we're no longer using, um, you know, that photomechanical. It's more of a pressure wave that is able to shatter the ink particles. So, you know, the Picashore, it's it's so much more gentle. There, it's so much less downtime, um, and we're seeing faster clearance results as well. I think we've had it out in Australia now. Oh. Uh, six years um and it was 10 years in the making <laughs> like yeah, it was yeah. you know, there was a 10-year process for, for the laser physicists and scientists to get together and invent invent this machine kylie i, I don't know if you can answer this but maybe you've got more insight because you you see lots of different clinics how is this part of laser technology regulated um, you know, and, and how are those people trained, for example, Mike or, or some of his colleagues? Like, what, what, what would you have to do to sort of certify to use a laser? Because obviously it could be potentially dangerous in the wrong hands. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, um, you know, it, within Australia, each state has their own regulations mm-hmm. on who is using a tattoo um, and how many hours they're required for training, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so Sinashore deliver the manufacturer's training um, appropriate for, for that state. But also we we do look at, you know, when somebody purchases a Picashore for tattoo removal, we look at their laser experience. I mean, it's always going to be like a minimum of a minimum of two to three days for, for training, but there is always ongoing support. Uh, through with the clinical team Uh, so it's not just like a one-off training session and then obviously we have there are a lot of ways that you can support that our that our clients can support their education through through the Sinashore education the the Sinashore University our um, internal webinars uh, and thing like and things like that so it definitely is an ongoing training support and it depends in which state in Australia you are 
um, the type of training that you your your kind of your initial training yeah. occurs. And sort of how freely available is laser tattoo removal? Because I mean, even my wife, she was looking uh, before we got in touch with you guys, and I was like, well, I don't really know anyone. So we sort of jumped onto Google and asked David, and he had a few ideas. But it, you know, at traditional laser clinics, it's not something that's normally offered. So how widespread is this and, and sort of how niche is it? I mean, it's uh, it, look, it is really, it, it is a niche market. It's become, every year it becomes more and more popular. Uh, in terms of Pika Shores, I mean, I think, you know, we've got about 130 Pika Shores in, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have the specifics of each state, but and then we also have, I mean, we've got the predecessors, the Medlite and Revlites also that, that offer tattoo removal too. So, you know, you will, you will be able to find a tattoo, a, a, a great quality tattoo removal device in every city in, in Australia. Yeah. Well, my, my advice is just Google MJ Driver. He seems to be all over <laughs> Australian. <laughs> yeah. So how do you assess, assess um, a patient and maybe just take us through, uh, Mike, the, uh, the process of actually attacking a tattoo removal? So take us through like your consultation process. How you, do you assess the actual removal process that you're going to use? So in terms of like, are you looking at the age of someone's skin, the colors, Mm-hmm. you know, whereabouts on the body it is, you know, maybe their ethnic background in terms of how their skin's going to respond. And then, yeah, just take us on a bit of a journey about what that process looks like. Yep. So I guess the first things that are always weighed up are, are basically the risk factors for that particular client. So you're looking at, um, you know, the skin type, age of the tattoo, um, where it's located on the body, um, closer to the heart and the head, the better the, the, better the healing's going to be and the better the clearance. Um, so yeah, you just you're taking a few different things into account, um, and, and obviously the size of the tattoo as well. There's there's definitely limits as to what the body can kind of handle, um, you know, in 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 one appointment kind of session, one treatment session. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, there's probably six, seven, eight things that we we'll sit down with the client and and kind of talk through, um, make sure everyone's all on the same page about kind of what's realistic. Um, what's, what, what can be achieved from, from where they're currently at and where they want to get to with the process. Um, cause a lot of our clients like to lighten their tattoos so that they can get better ones. Um, they're not, they're not specifically just straight up opposed, um, to, to tattooing, you know, to having tattoos anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and that's kind of, that, that's where my passion more lies. I'm obviously... Um, as you mentioned at the start, I, I, I have tattoos. I work in tattoo shops. I have done since I was 18. Um, I, I, I love tattoo industry. I'm passionate about it. So when people come in, they just want to lighten some tattoos that they got when they were younger, much like I did. You know, everyone kind of makes some pretty weird decisions when they're <laughs> 18, 19 um, in terms of having something permanently on them, you know, for the rest of their lives. So, um, you know, nothing gives me more joy than be, being able to to lighten up a tattoo that, that someone is really self-conscious and uncomfortable with and getting them to a point where, you know, say they had a bad tattoo on their forearm and then we lighten it up over three or four sessions and they get a new sleeve, you know, they come in and they're, they're just a different person because they're not wearing a long sleeve shirt every single day because they're, they're you know, they're self-conscious of people looking at this, you know, this thing on their arm that, that they can't even stand looking at. So, 
um, yeah, that, that, that's really why I'm not, why I do this. It, it, it really changes how people use themselves, you know, how they feel about themselves. Fair enough. And are there any particular colors that fade better or worse or, or, or are some, you know, I don't know, blacks, are they more permanent? Just walk us through sort of how difficult the process is because I think you sort of alluded to like, you know, you might not be able to completely remove a tattoo or maybe you can, you can expand on that, but most people are lightening things up to redo a tattoo. So yeah, like what what is tricky within that process? Yeah, uh, well, black's definitely probably still the the easiest color to to gain full clearance of it responds really really well um to treatments from from pico shore which is a 755 nanometer machine and your standard um you know med lights and rev lights which is um 1064 nanometers um so black still responds really good um really strong reds also respond quite well and because of pico shore built on that um 755 nanometer platform it's, it gets amazing, amazing clearance of greens, blues, purples, stuff that up until that machine came out was was near on impossible mm. um, to, to, to get to achieve full clearance um, of. So that's opened up. That, that's why I've got the two machines behind me here because, yeah, no matter really what tattoo comes through the, comes through the door, we're going to have the best chance of, of clearing it completely. Okay, so if someone had a pure black tattoo, they could literally have a, a bare arm again, a naked arm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, that's pretty so impressive. I got, I got mine all black, just in case I ever had that issue. Oh, is that described as black? I thought that was blue. <laughs> it, I have no it, idea. It about goes tattoos. like a greeny blue color. It doesn't say. It doesn't stay black. It looks very green in this. It looks very weird in this light. But yeah, it's, so it's like it's, a grey wash or something. Yeah, it's it? a grey wash. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so naive. Yeah, you- <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> yeah. So once you start getting into the other, like the oranges is quite difficult to remove. I heard reds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reds, not too bad. Um, because, uh, like the med lights and red lights yeah. and Pico has a, has a hand, a 532 hand piece as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, basically those red and, and your darker oranges respond quite well to 532 nanometers. Yeah. Um, bit more of a risk in terms of like hyperpigmentation um and stuff like that especially on dark skin types but um you know it it's still the best technology and the best shot that someone's got of of clearing those colors just got a question for kylie just about what you said mike so i think you you mentioned that there's more of a pressure wave um destroying the pigment rather than heat is that right yeah, so with the, um, I mean, the way either Q-switch, traditional Q-switch lasers work or the Pikachu is the, the laser energy, the light particles are delivered so fast mm-hmm. that there is, um, you know, there's less there's less or minimal heat. Yeah. And you don't want heat. You don't want heat to remove, uh, to remove a tattoo. But the difference between a Q-switch and a picosecond is because that picosecond energy travels so much more faster it really, um, we, we describe it as a, as a pressure wave rather than, you know, photomechanical. Yeah. So yeah. photomechanicals can still have a little bit of, you know, heat associated to it where Pico, Pico sure removes, removes that heat element. So it does make it uh, a lot more, a lot more comfortable, I believe, and a, a lot uh, safer as well. Um, less less side effects. Yeah, and so your risk of, like you said, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation is is less because of that. Uh, yeah, look, you're able to treat m- more skin types um, as well. I, I think, I mean, without, yeah, in, in general, uh, yes, there's there are so many 
tattoo removal. And like Mike was saying before, there are so many variables to every question you have with tattoo removal. You know, how long how long is it going to take to remove a tattoo or, you know, what's in the tattoo? We don't even really know the, the composition of the ink. Um, there are so many variables on every question you can ask about tattoo removal, but I think what PikaSure does is it just minimises um, so much more than what the Q-switch lasers were able to do. Yeah. So, so because that energy is being delivered faster, you've got you've got um, there's less heat being there's less heat being absorbed by less the skin. Less heat, yeah, or no heat. Yeah. And what we're doing with PikaSure, we're actually breaking up the ink particles a lot smaller. So think of a Q-switch laser; it breaks up the ink particles into pebbles right and then think about the the pika shore it breaks up the ink particles into sand right so the way that we know the way we eliminate the tattoo after it's been treated with a laser is that your body's lymphatic system needs to remove that the ink particles right and if the ink particles are smaller like sand opposed to be eliminating that a lot quicker Right. Okay. So MJ, so we, we got up, we sort of went down a, a bit of a pathway in a different direction, which is great because that's what we do on the podcast, but we sort of, um, maybe let's just go back to the process. So you've assessed someone to make sure that they're suitable. You've assessed risk factors, so on and so forth. So they turn up for the day of treatment. Do they need to do anything to prep themselves? Are you using any local anesthetic? What's the pain? Just take us through the process. I'm a, I'm pretend I'm a, I'm a customer. We're about to do we're about to remove some of the dodgy parts of my tattoo that were done 10 years ago. Let, let's go. Yep. Let's do it. I'm just checking cool. for your ex-girlfriend's name somewhere, but it looks like it's written in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, we give every customer, or we give them the knowledge that if they want to use a, a local anesthetic cream, yep. that they can apply that themselves prior to yeah to coming to, to their appointment um so that would be like an mla or like a, a numbed yeah, or something M- like that MLR, yeah yep. okay yeah so that just helps take the edge off it definitely doesn't make it or very rarely would make it completely pain-free mm-hmm. um but it definitely helps i can i can vouch for that yeah um for sure um so yeah basically prior to them coming in for their appointment we'll get them to shave any any hair off over the area mm-hmm. numbing cream they can do so um and then yeah when we get them in the room we just basically have the chat first of all just about how they're feeling uh, a lot of people get quite anxious and, and nervous before particularly their first uh their first treatment just because it's such a i guess it's still such a weird thing that like people don't know what to expect because it's still kind of rare that you probably know you know anyone that really that's had that's had a tattoo removed Mm -hmm. so people often are anxious over just what it's actually going to feel like so we just make sure that people are kind of you know calm and and feeling comfortable first of all and then um yeah we will clean up the area with you know with alcohol wipe it down um yeah basically when we always or when we always start the appointment we'll do just a small section and then stop and and let the customer kind of get their head around what it feels like, um, make sure again that they're comfortable. And then, which most people, because they've built it up so much in their head about how painful, you know, it, they've got every friend in their life telling them that it's meant to be. The <laughs> and then generally when you do that first, you know, square centimeter on their, you know, on their tattoo, um, it's usually quite a big relief because it's yeah. nowhere near as bad as they kind of drummed it up to be. Um, 
yeah. And then usually by that point, they're quite calm, they're quite relaxed, and we can get through the rest of the the rest of that kind of process, the rest of that treatment quite quickly and quite easily. How would you describe the sensation? Is it a little bit like laser hair removal, like the elastic band snapping against the, the skin, that sort of sensation? Yeah. Yeah. So from, from a lot of my clients that have had hair removal and then obviously had the, had the tattoo removal treatments, they, they say it's a very similar feeling, but just quite amplified, I guess, to what the, the hair removal feeling is. Right. Um, but I can also vouch for what Kylie said earlier about the Pico Shaw, um, you know, with less heat being, being in the epidermis and, and kind of in and out a lot faster. It is, it is way more comfortable than the standard kind of Q-switch NDA um, right. technology. Um, but, you know, I still feel like there's there's a need for Q-switch NDA for tattoos that are being stubborn that Pico Shaw might not be able to clear out. Um, but, yeah, for, for, for the most part, Pico Shaw is a lot more um, comfortable, yeah. particularly during it, but also afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks like it's quite a quick process. I've seen them being done on Instagram. It looks like you guys move pretty quick. So how long, how long yep. would it take you to say remove, you know, your average sort of, you know, a palm size? A palm, like, yeah, that's the fair one listing. A tattoo the size of your palm. How long would it take for you to run over that in a session? If the, if, if the client is, is, is really comfortable and remaining quite still, yep. it, a palm size tattoo is taking us less, you know, less than 90 seconds most of the time. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay. That's, that's super quick. So you could do like a full yeah. sleeve in like under five minutes probably. Uh, a full sleeve would probably be ten or fifteen, okay. but it's also it's also too large of an area to do at one time. Yeah, um, it's just like when I first, like I was saying, when I first was having tattoo removal done fourteen years ago, I was the the, the hospital was a hospital at that point in Brisbane that were um, that did my first two sessions. We're doing my full sleeve in a in a session, right? And it just knocked me for six every single time. Yeah, um, yeah, because. The swelling, obviously, um, when you're going all the way around a limb, the 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 pressure, the pressure buildup is just, it's so intense, and it's got no, especially when it's on your arm, it's got nowhere to go but down. That actually sounds pretty dangerous to do a circumferential sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. So that's why that that was what I learned the hard way by having it done myself when I was 19. Yeah. Is that that was something that, um, yeah. I mean, that was again, it was kind of gnarly for me, but it's a really good learning experience. So it's something that when I started business, it was something that we just wouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. So just say you finished your, your palm size treatment. So you you know, you're done within five minutes in total. So what happens to the patient afterwards? Like you said, there's a bit of swelling. What's the pain level like aftercare? And then how long does it take for the results of that treatment to sort of come to a conclusion where you've gone, right, we're now ready for the next treatment? Yeah. So we, we run just a generic, um, kind of six week minimum interval between, between treatments, um, which is generally really good to start off for those, the first sessions. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of got to customize, you got to kind of drag it back and customize it depending on how the tattoo is responding, how the skin's healing, how the patient's feeling. Um, you know, you got to, every tattoo is going to respond differently because it's, like Kylie said earlier, you don't really know the components in a lot of inks in Australia. There's no, there's no body, there's no like governed body or, or health body that's that's kind of governing what pigments are, can and can't be used in tattooing. And a lot of people mix their mix their inks to try, try and achieve certain colours. So 
it's quite an unpredictable, um, yeah, it's quite an unpredictable thing. So you don't often know what ink you are treating with the laser. Um, so, uh, but anyway, yeah. So once we, once we do, once we finish a treatment, um, we will get late, it's a cream, it's a post laser cream called laser aid. We'll get that straight on, straight on the area to soothe it immediately, take out any extra heat that's kind of hanging around. Um, cool it down, soothe it right away. Um, nonstick gauze over the top and then we'll, any area that can be pressure bandaged on the body, we'll also pressure bandage it just to keep any swelling and um, uh, any blistering that may occur to an absolute minimum for that first 24 to 48 hours, which is, that's the high, that's the peak point of when any of those um, responses will happen. So I guess the worst case scenario must be quite rare, but there is a risk of infection if the skin barrier is breached. So Obviously, yeah, you just want to be advising people, keep it clean, you know, don't pick at it. Obviously, if you get a scab, don't, don't pick it off, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just don't touch it, basically, unless you're applying um, like a healing cream. Just, just do not touch it. Don't get it wet. Um, you want to, yeah, you want to you treat it with the, the utmost care for that first couple of days, particularly after the first appointment, which is, like we're saying, it's such a, it's such a um, variable like there's so many variables so everyone's going to respond somewhat differently yeah so you just got to that first session that first couple of days after that first treatment you just got to be really really cautious about how it's all looking how it's going and just making sure that that you're keeping on top of it that's a bit of a, a loose question i know that you said it's it's super variable but approximately how many sessions might someone be looking at would it be 1 to 5 or 5 to 10 you know what what sort of order yeah maybe split it up into if you're looking at a gray wash versus coloreds maybe just cuz i yeah, know there's going to be yeah. differences there yeah yeah so your gray wash tattoos are uh, obviously a lot easier to to gain full clearance of and to get immediate kind of like with your sleeve there, yeah. you would see an immediate results in, in a significant amount of area because yeah. that that grey wash is basically just a watered down um, watered down black. Yeah. And it's also, you know, the machine it's you it's it's put in with a shader which doesn't go anywhere near as deep into the epidermis as like a liner um, would. So you'll see, you know, with a grey wash, um, grey wash tattoo like that, you'd basically see at least fifty percent um, clearance before you walked out the door after that first session. Whereas if you had, um, yeah, a yellow, a yellow sun or something tattooed on your arm there, it's a whole different ball game. It's, it's, it couldn't be any more different than, than just treating a gray wash sleeve. Right. Um, so yeah, gray, gray wash tattoos, particularly ones that are, you know, at least a few years old, the older the tattoo, the better the clearance generally. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, for a grey wash tattoo, we're generally hoping to achieve full clearance within four to six treatments. Right, okay. um, and then and then depending on what colours, if, you, if you're walking in with just a multicoloured, like every colour under the rainbow, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a, a tricky process and expensive. I'm um, assuming too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd, you'd probably be looking at, at potentially upwards of ten treatments. You know, and when you're talking those first couple of sessions, six weeks apart and then kind of customizing it and potentially going a greater distance mm-hmm. uh, between, between those treatments, it can quickly blow out to be two or three years for, a, um, you know, a complete clearance kind of process. Yeah. So anyone listening and you're getting a tattoo, think about it. 
Maybe don't. Maybe please don't. Think, please think about it. Yeah, maybe, maybe avoid yellow for your first one. Sit with it for a few yeah. years. Maybe come back and add color. Let's do your coloring in a bit later. Um, yeah. So during during that six week process where you're leaving between treatments, so you've got your first few days where you're being really vigilant. You're probably not going to the gym. You're not exercising. You're keeping it dry. After that process, I'm assuming it goes through some kind of scabbing, sort of uh, metamorphosis where it becomes all scabby and gnarly, and then uh, or not. It d- would, again, would depend on like what kind of tattoo is being removed. So your your tattoos, for example, like the lighter grey wash stuff, it's going to just flake more than scab. So right. it'd be more like a more like healing, like a sunburn. Yep. Whereas, yeah, if you're if you've got like a, a dark, you know, tribal sleeve or whatever, yeah. um, with with a, a lot of packed in black pigment, yeah, then it's gonna yeah it's gonna be a bit heavier in terms of of scabbing and and just the healing process in general is going to take. Yep. a longer period of time yeah so it's generally like a depending on as you said the colors it's it's a, a a varied process between flaking and heavy scabbing and that takes place over six weeks and then they're good to go yep. to come back in for another treatment well the healing is probably over the over about a two-week period right. okay and then because we get emails all the time hey my tattoo's healed um you know that session's healed in two weeks can i come back you know come back <laughs> later this week it's like just chill like <laughs> Your, your, your body is working at this for a long time still, even though you can't see it on the surface. Yeah. Like your, your, your immune system is got, still going through the, the motions for right. generally upwards of, of a couple of months, six months or so. Right. Okay. And Mike, you said you've got a couple of the lasers behind you, but um, is there anything else that you use alongside the Sinusure lasers? You, you mentioned some of the trickier inks or I don't know if you use any other um, technologies or peels or, or anything else to sort of augment what you're doing. No, not at this point. I've I've had different different lasers over the years. Um, I'm in my eleventh year now of, of of having this business. Um, so I've I've tried quite a few different different brands of machines, and a lot of them have come at quite a financial hit for mm, me because yes. they haven't been up to scratch. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I'm not sure what's coming out in the future or, or what's in the pipeline, really. But as it currently stands, these two machines behind me. Are um yeah they're, they're the gold standard. If you want to, if, if you have a clinic and you're advertising full clearance for for tattoo removal, you you basically have to have these machines. I I have researched this you know <laughs> day in day out for ten years. Like I'm 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 always trying to stay on top of it. I'm always seeing what's coming out. Um and, and yeah, these t- these two machines are, are, are currently as it stands that. They're the two that you need if you want to advertise that in your clinic. Right. Kylie, can you give us any inside scoops? Is there anything up Sinusure's sleeve or <laughs> is this as good as it's going to get? Oh, listen, I mean, the thing is, yeah, with, with tattoo removal, we where we are now, we're the best that we can be or the best the industry can be. So, um, you know, we, we've got the most researched picosecond technology uh, and the most, we, you know, we have the longest history with our Q-switch technology as well. Right. And there's a lot of a lot of things that go into, the, I suppose, the engineering on both devices on on what makes them, you know, uh, not just reliable, but seeing that the results are so consistent. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I have to say, it's it's such a pleasure spending, you know, the, over the years, spending so much time with Mike in his in his business, understanding from his point of view, um, you know, seeing these consistent results that he 
his customers achieve. Um, you know, he he knows more about tattoo removal than than anyone I know. You know, laser tattoo removal. So um, yeah, I, I think Mike's on his business. Uh, I know Mike. You were saying is it over a hundred thousand treatments. I I would imagine it. Yeah, it's, I would imagine yeah. by this point it's quite yeah quite easily over that. Yeah, yeah. All right. And I, and I'm when when you ask questions about you know how long does it take and I mean I'm actually a lot more conservative. You know, from a from from our point of view, you don't want to, you know, you want to manage expectations. But uh, you know, Mike is seeing all these results firsthand. So yeah. yeah, it's great. And how do you? I guess for people listening that might be considering it. Um, what would the cost be? How do you? How can someone look at it at their tattoo and get an indi- an indication of what it's going to likely cost them to get it removed? Say if they were come and see you, Mike. Well, palm size tattoos generally going to be around that probably one one hundred eighty dollar per treatment mark. Right. Um, and then, you know, if they're getting well, the whole point of why I started this business is I really wanted to make it more affordable, not cheap, because these machines come at quite a you know, quite a cost and, and, and renting a shop and, you know, the general running of a small business, it, it, it it's quite, it's quite gnarly sometimes. There's, there's mm-hmm. a, a huge financial kind of burden there. But, um, when I was first having my, my treatments done long before I was, I was doing this, uh, you know, for a job, um, I really wanted to make, I really wanted to make it more achievable for, someone that works in a supermarket or whatever to be able to go through a removal process and it not absolutely cripple them financially. Um, I I felt at the time many years ago that it was an excessive cost. I I still believe that that that's the case with a lot of clinics as well. So, you know, if someone's coming to us and they've got palm size tattoos, they've got, say they've got six palm size tattoos scattered over their body that they want to get rid of. We're not going to charge them 180 for each single one, you know. We'll try and combine um, a bit, you know, combine basically um, a deal for them because, you know, if they're going to be coming back to us, you know, pretty consistently for for a period of time, I want, you know, I want to make that process as much as we need to to cover our costs and, and obviously make money because, you know, we're living, we have mortgages and whatnot yeah, as well. Course. But, yeah. um, you know, we want to. We want it to work well for everybody. I, I never started this business to become a, a, a multimillionaire or whatever. That wasn't the. That was never the driving force behind doing this. Um, it was purely something that I, I cared about deeply, and and, um, yeah, just thought, yeah, hey, if I can do that day in day out for, for years and years to come, then how good's that? You know, how great would that? How great would that be for my life? Yeah, no, I think that's very admirable, and I think that um, that's something that resonates with all of our guests because we we always try and get the people that are best at what they do in in their area of, of work, and the the consistent theme there is people are passionate about what they do, and the money and the success come after that. So it sounds like you found your niche and you're passionate about it, which is why you're successful. Um, just a quick question in terms of um, you've got five locations. I'm sure you've got a number of staff. I, I know that you know what you're doing, but how do you train your people like is there like a base level of knowledge that you like people to have or and how long does it take for you to get them up to the mj driver standard of of treatment application yeah so it's something we've we've definitely refined um over the last probably five or six years um which is good so 
I started in Queensland and the Queensland uh, legislation, regulations, licensing for performing um, class four laser tattoo removal. It's yeah. kind of the peak in the country out of yeah. all the states, uh, apart from Western Australia where you, you have to actually be a, a, a doctor to perform tattoo removal, which is maybe a little maybe a little too gnarly, um, a little too intense. But in Queensland, it's quite quite a, a lot of training and, 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 you know, laser safety courses stuff like that, that you have to, you have to kind of do. And then, uh, I'm not sure what it's like these days because it's been a few years, a new, a new, um, clinician. Um, but generally it's a hundred hours of supervised training, um, that the Queensland health department set, set you, uh, once you get your training use license, which is a process just getting to that point really. Um, but yeah, so all that, that's how I, that's how I was licensed. That's how I started out. And I thought, that was really, I feel like that's the benchmark of where, where it should probably be Australia wide. Um, cause there's a lot of states like New South Wales and Victoria that have basically no, yeah. no, no, no regulations, which is kind of crazy. Um, so I, I think the Queens, the Queensland health department, the, you know, the regulations that they've set is pretty spot on by the end of that training, you're quite equipped to, um, to carry out t- laser tattoo removal. Um, you know, with with the knowledge and 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 everything that you need to be able to do that day in day out. Why do you think Western Australia is so uh, strict, if you want to put it that way? Like, I mean, what's the reasoning for it to be doctor only versus, you know, hundred hours of experience um, from what you've gone through? All right. So, f- from what I understand of it, and Kylie might know more about this. You guys might even know more about it. Um, each state, I think, has has two or, or a small handful of, of doctors or, or whatever that um, basically are in charge of deciding um, whether there's going to be an Australian wide kind of set of rules or whether it's going to make continue state by state. Mm-hmm. Um, and my understanding of it is that I guess if you have it locked down in WA for doctors only, then, you know, you, you, you've got your hands around that industry. Like that's so it's commercial. not going to flood. You know what I mean? You think it's commercial reasons? I, I do. Yeah. yeah. I a hundred percent do. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, well, I think that concludes all of our questions yeah. that we had for you. Is anything else that Kylie wanted to add to just summarize the technology? Going back to pricing as well. I think the great thing with Sinusure is that we have solutions for tattoo removal so, yes, Pikachu is the best. Um, and, you know, if Pikachu is not in your budget, you can always start with an entry level. Yeah. RG switch laser, which, you know, which is from our point, has been around for about 30 years. But uh, there's been a lot of, you know, something that I'm so passionate about working with Sonashore and working with the Pikachu. You know, we didn't just come out with this machine, you know, it wasn't long. In one, in a short time, all of a sudden we have the Pikachu. So much went into making this what what it is today. And it's been the same Pikachu that we've had out for the last seven years. So they spent so much time making it so good that, you know, when it's been released commercially, they haven't even had to adapt or change it. That's like, that's how good it is. Um, from a company point of view, we we partner, we, you know, we we work with our clients to ensure that. Everything that you want to be able to do with your patients, um, we're going to support you the entire way. So we, you know, your success is our success. Yeah. Okay. And for um, MJ, if people want to find you, 
where are your clinics located? And then can you just direct us to your website and any social media accounts that you have? Yeah, yep. So website's just mjdriver.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, not .au because we still have uh, a pipeline dream of potentially right. going um, International. You know, worldwide. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. COVID, <laughs> we were very close and COVID kind of got got stuck into us early last year yeah. and, and put, a, put a massive hold on that, obviously. Um, so, yeah, uh, mjdriver.com. Um, the tag on Instagram is just mjdriver laser tattoo removal. Yep. Um and we have clinics Brisbane, Gold Coast, and three uh, throughout Melbourne. Nothing in Sydney yet. What's going on, mate? I I had Sydney. I, that was one of the ones I sold. Damn! Ah. I would have come and seen yeah. you, but I'm not flying to Melbourne. <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, want to get locked down. <laughs> my, my my dude Tro- Trolls Thomason. He's a registered nurse. He was the guy that worked for me for five years. He he bought the store um, off me a few years ago, and he actually just opened his second one in Wollongong as well, which um, I gave him a little hand with and. What's his name? Yeah, Did yeah. you say Troll? Trolls Thomason. He's uh he's got a Scandinavian background. Oh right. But, um, okay. He's one of the best. One of the best. He's an absolute lord. So um, in New South Wales, check him out. If you need a tattoo removed, uh, Paramount Tattoo Removal. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. thank you uh, so much for joining us, mates, and Kylie again thank for you. part two of PK Shaw with Sinusure. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys soon. Stay safe in your third lockdown now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Hopefully <laughs> you guys get some good news today. I know the announcements today, whether you can go back to normal yeah. or not. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. No thank worries. You. Cheers. Have a good one. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.